Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I'm your host, Shane Sanchez, and in this episode of the Think Orange podcast, we're talking about how to create a small group's culture and why it matters. I'm so excited for you to get to hear this conversation that I was able to have with our guest, Tom Shunis, or as we call him, Chef, and Lisette Frazier. Chef has worked with students and leaders for over 25 years and is the co-author of Lead Small and When Relationships Matter. Lisette has spent over two decades in full-time ministry and is a ministry coach, consultant, and communicator. Chef and Lizette are two of the communicators in our new masterclass, Creating a Small Group Culture. Here's what we know is true. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in what you do as a ministry leader. You know that every early morning, late night, and meeting that could have been an email is so worth it. And when you believe in what you do this much, you do everything you can to make it better. You know that the mission is too important not to try something new. And that's why we created the Redesign Your Ministry to Last course from Orange Masterclass. Join Reggie Joyner as he unpacks the five essential values for your ministry that will last far beyond a person, a model, or yes, even a pandemic. We believe the work you do on the front lines with kids and teenagers is the most important work in the world. Every meeting with a small group leader, email to parents, and late night supply run matters because you're helping kids and teenagers develop an everyday faith. On average, you have about 40 hours this year to influence the faith of kids and teenagers who come to your programming. That means you need to be intentional about your messaging strategy. Orange Curriculum is a comprehensive strategy for birth to high school. Each age group curriculum not only provides you with strategic messages to engage kids and students with biblical truths, but also resources to help you train volunteers and partner with parents. To start using Orange Curriculum to spend less time planning your message and more time doing what only you can do, building relationships. You can get started today at tryorangefree.com. That's tryorangefree.com. And innovative strategies to help you elevate them in your ministry. Start working on your ministry, not just in your ministry, today by going to orangemasterclass.com. We can't wait for you to get to learn from them. So let's dive into this conversation. Chef Lisette, thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. I'm really excited about this Creating a Small Group Culture Masterclass, but I have a question to start us. What <laughs> is a small group culture? Was that that's all you? Oh, no. I mean, I feel like you are the masterclass on this one, Chef. I don't, I mean, I don't we, know about that. <laughs> we believe in small group culture. Talk we it. do. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's just start with culture, I think. I mean, to me, culture is, it's hard to define, but easy to feel. So for me, what I love to do is have outsiders come in and ask the question, like, what do you see is important to us? What do you, what do you feel? What do you, you know, so when strangers walk into your organization, when strangers walk into your environment and they interact with your volunteers and your staff, like what, what are clearly the values? What are clearly the big things? What are clearly the most important things to them? And culture goes without saying. So you may say things all the time within your culture, but you should be saying them so often that you'll hear your words repeated throughout the culture. And that's really the culture at the end of the day, how people feel, what they feel is important, what they're aligned on, and all of those things. So a small group culture is one where, you know, if you walked into my room, you would, uh, my room, my ministry, you would realize, oh, okay, relational ministry 
over time is important to these people. I'm not sure what they call it, whether they call it small groups or life groups or some people call it Sunday school over the long term. They get it though. You know, I, I have nothing usually people call all kind of, people call small groups small groups, which are actually Sunday school, and people call Sunday school Sunday school, which is actually small groups. At the end of the day, it's like discipleship, long-term relational, you know, is is the way we do ministry around here is really what you're looking for. I don't know if that helps or makes any sense, but you know, to me, culture is king. Culture is the number one thing. There's the book, there's a book called The One Thing You Need to Know, which is, hey, the one thing you need to know is culture is king at the end of the day in your organization. So that as a leader, I feel like that's your job. Sit in meetings and repeat yourself and keep driving that culture deeper and deeper into the organization with staff, with volunteers, with parents, with kids. Anyway, that's, that's a soapbox for me. So sorry about that. I no, that's great, Chad. And that. I know, I know um, what's true of you is that you've helped other leaders develop that kind of culture, myself included in that. So I, I have some ideas of the indicators that you look for when you're assessing whether or not a ministry has a small group culture. But I'm interested, Lisette, in knowing in your context uh, the context in which you've led, what are some of those indicators for you? When you walk into a space or when you're connecting with the ministry leader, how do you gauge whether or not they have a small group culture? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think to what you're saying, Chef, like you can have a small group strategy, you can have a small group plan, you can put small groups on paper as though they matter, but they might not if they're not actually embedded into your culture. So what are yeah, you looking for? Point. What is the priority in programming? right? I think that's a big thing that I look for. I think when you see a program that's oriented around a stage, a platform versus oriented around relationship, then I don't think you have a small group culture. I think when you have limited amounts of adults or um, people of faith that are clearly there to invest in the younger generation, you don't have a small group culture. Mm -hmm. Um, When conversation isn't promoted and encouraged, I think you're missing. So I think those are some of the really key indicators I'll see is like, what does relationship look like? Where's our time going when we're together? Like, what is our orientation of program? Um, What is the priority? Where does our equipping go? Who do we spend our time making sure are prepared to do what we hope they'll do, right? If all the... I love the band, but if the band gets all my attention or if the games get all my attention or budget or, you know, whatever, then we have missed what we think is the highest priority. And we believe that in small groups, like that's the moment. It's that life and life long-term relationship that actually helps a young person, helps any of us come to know Jesus for a lifetime. Oh, that's so good, Lisette. And some of the things you just said. I have a feeling might be some paradigm shifts for leaders that are listening. Those are a a big deal. What happens on the stage, what's happening in our programming, typically that's where our focus goes. So I have to ask you, why is creating a, a small group culture so important? Why does this matter so much? Well, I think you can get both of us on that soapbox pretty easy. (laughs) Why does it matter? Because at the end of the day, how do we get to know Jesus and how do we have a lifelong faith? I mean, you can go look at statistics. You can go look at research that'll tell you no program has actually discipled a kid. It's maybe converted someone. It's helped them know Jesus. It helps them know him in some way. But what is actually the defining factor for a a young person particularly to keep their faith into adulthood is relationship. And so if we can foster great relationship, discipling relationships, we've got a shot at helping a kid know Jesus for a lifetime. Yeah. Wow. Chef, what would you add to that? Well, I I mean, I just think it's all, all through what Jesus said is important. I mean, I love the whole conversation in John where he's like, Hey guys, I'm leaving. 
you know, and they're like, what? You know, and then he's always like, you know, and when they kill you, they're going to do it in my father's name. And they're whoa, 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 raise my hand, you know, <laughs> but that conversation keeps going. But the, the crazy thing about like, that conversation is, but someone else is going to come and it's, a, it, and he's basically alluding to the fact that it's going to be a better time or dispensation if you're in seminary, you know, those sorts of ideas where the body of Christ is not just a body, but it's the body of Christ. It's each other. And that, that meant the ministry of Jesus now becomes personal. And, and he's clear, like, hey, the most important thing at the end of the day is love me and love others. And those th- things are equal, equally important. You can't not love others and love the people I love and love me because of the, those are the people I love. Yeah. And that love one another. That is the way people will know you're my followers by the way you love. I mean, it's just it's all relational at the end of the day. And then if you step back and look at it psychologically, not even theologically, just like what kids need at different times when it comes to Jesus is so connected to where they are in their brain development and everything else and what they can take and what they can understand. And for people to walk with them over time and be Jesus to them in a lot of ways or in all the ways um, in this day and time, you know, that's just how, real ministry works. And so people all the time ask, I mean, for example, people would come up to me and say, why in the world do you have volunteers sign up for three years? And then it's, which is followed by how do you get them to sign up for three years? And my answer was simple because that's the only thing that works. If I'm going to do ministry, it's got to work. If you just want me to teach stuff and have a program, which is fun, But that, at the end of the day, that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to change lives. And if I want to change a lot, like for real change lives, not just get them stoked to do my brave heart speech, which are all important things for culture, just over and over and over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that that's why at the end of the day, it's important because it's what works and um, it's what Jesus modeled. It's what he taught. And, you know, we, we've got into some sort of, maybe industrial revolutionary type, like this is a conveyor belt where kids are in the family ministry conveyor belt. As long as we put the right screws in the right places, they're going to come out the other side. That doesn't work. Wow. The kids are walking away from the church. They have to wrestle with their faith. They have to have a safe place. And that safe place is defined by a safe person. And that safe person can't be safe as they get older unless you've put in the time. And um, anyway, soapbox me, you, you know, we should write a book about this. <laughs> yeah, we, we should. Or maybe record uh, a master class and, and offer that to you. Uh, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you all did that because hearing you talk about the importance of relational ministry is fundamental to, I mean, so much of what we do at Orange, but also the master class that you all created. It is really about creating that type of culture. And I do feel like the church, the big C church has come a long way when it comes to relational ministry. I mean, small groups feel pretty mainstream nowadays. Now, I know that doesn't that doesn't necessarily apply to every context, but is it possible for leaders out there who would say, I, I have a small group model of ministry, is it possible for them to have that model but not actually have a small group culture? Because as you both defined a little bit earlier, those things can be different. So is that possible? And if so, what are maybe some indicators that that might be the case? 
That's a great question. And I would say, absolutely. I would say if I had to get real, I've been there myself, right? I've been in a church context where I would say, we would say out loud, we're a small group culture. And that wasn't true. We had a great small group strategy-ish. We had it on, you know, great plan, maybe, uh, but I don't think it had the priority. And I think the culture piece is the big piece, right? And I think chef, like, we'll just keep talking about that. But there is something about repeating things over and over and over. And I think some of the indicators, I mean, we've talked about a few of them, but I think some of it is too, just the attitude of your team. It's about what you believe fundamentally, because I think the argument and the pushback that I've heard so often is like, yeah, I think small groups is a great part of what we do. Um, But just in case it doesn't work, also, can we make sure all these other things are good, right? And if you're going to say that, you're always going to spread your resources, you're always going to spread your energy, and you're going to really spread your belief and understanding of what's going to work. And so there's something about trying to narrow in and say, no, if this is really ultimately the best thing we can offer any person is that type of intentional relational ministry, then everything needs to be focused that way. But, you know, when you see leader teams that still believe that they need their pastor to make all the decisions, that they're not actually the ones, you know, one-on-one, life-on-life, trusted to shepherd a kid, then, you know, you've probably not really caught the culture. You've just got a model, right? When you've got this understanding that it only happens within two hours a week, and as soon as they graduate, it's over, you've got a strategy or a model. You don't necessarily have the culture, like something hasn't fully caught And so I think we have to pay attention to not only what we do, but how that feels and what everybody's understanding is of what they're doing. That's so good. That's so good. Um, Chef, what would you add to that? Well, I think, I think you have to not have a small group culture because it culture work is months and years work. Like Mm -hmm. it is, it follows the decision that you want as a leader to have a small group culture and it won't be real for at least a couple of years because you've got to, drive that belief deep into your volunteers. Some people are going to eject because that's not what they're there for. They don't want to do that hard work. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to start to feel people being attracted to it because the people that stay are the right folks. And so for sure, you can want a small group culture and not have one for a long time. And that's really the hardest part, to be honest, yeah. is because there's not like, okay, I know I'm making progress. You don't realize you're making progress in culture until you realize you have made progress. And so you'll hear it. You'll, you'll sit there and you'll say the same things. And then one day, 18 months in, you'll hear volu- a new vo- an old volunteer explain to a new volunteer and use the same idea, or use different words, but the same idea. It's huge. You know, like, oh, they, they believe this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's really the hard part about it. I think some of the some of the indicators I ask a lot of times, I'll ask you like, what do your small group leaders complain about? I remember being in my ministry as a volunteer, praying, praying the speaker would go longer because you're about to send me into a corner of a hallway with 24 sixth grade boys with nothing to do but review what the speaker said. Yeah. That's not small group. Yeah. So I was complaining about too much small group time. When your small group leaders complain and say, you went too long in your program, I've only got 25 minutes now. Or they come out and literally, you know, what when push comes to shove, like what wins? I remember when we would, you know, again, I was at a church that was growing and we had resources. And this is just an example. This is not reality for most churches, I realized. But we had to design buildings. Yeah, We designed buildings around how long it took because we knew we only had 65 minutes to get from the program that sets up small group to small group. 
So we literally added doors all around the outside because we were realizing we were losing 10% of their total time just getting from the program to small groups. So we, we made sure that those rooms, you know, another one I love at North Point is we don't have offices at North Point. We have small group rooms that are used as offices during the week. And I, I inherited that. That didn't come from me. That's what that to me, that was hilarious because, you know, people would come and say, hey, on Sunday, your kids broke my lamp. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. They broke their lamp. Would you like to buy them another one? Because, you know, it was like, no, your office is a small group room that you're using as an office. And, and there's, you know, it's those are the sorts of things that you start to look for is what people are complaining about when, oh, I know what it was. It was a big church that was going to buy. They were going to buy lots of lead smalls because the person in charge of the student ministry bought into this idea. Mm-hmm. But the church administration stepped in and didn't want, they were like, no, 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 we can't have that strong relationships with kids because we're growing and we won't get to be able to get their families to move to other campuses as we need that space. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like, so that's that's where the priority was programming and growth, not necessarily ministry. And part of me just wanted to scream, the premise of the question is you can't move people because they're connected to adults. But what if you move those adults? Maybe it'd be easier to move people when you can start to think about putting groups together geographically at the beginning so that maybe when the time comes to open another campus over there, we've already got pre-made groups that are easy to move because those families are one. Again, that just takes strategy. But I mean, I was so disappointed in that church's leadership because I'm like, you're your kids are walking away from their faith because they're not connected to someone who's walking with them. And you just made a decision specifically not to make those relationships too deep. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was frustrating for me, but you know, that's not weird for big churches to be about personalities and programming. Um, It's just when the decisions, again, I came from a big church that probably people would make that accusation, but I can just tell you from working in it, like, that's a good one. Is the personality the important part of your ministry? Wow. Like, if that personality left, would the ministry be okay? There's another indicator. Yeah. Or would small groups just kind of keep meeting? Like, I used to rotate the speakers all the time. So the one consistent personality was the small group leader. Yeah. You know? Wow. Um, so when a speaker left, kids didn't even realize it for months because they were just waiting for them to come back around in the rotation. Whatever happened to that guy, you know, or that lady? Well, that's so good. I think, I think you saying... It's months and years work building a culture. I mean, that really resonated even even with me. And Chef, I know you you know a little bit of of my story through leadership and uh, in the context that I was leading in out in Phoenix, Arizona as a student ministries pastor, we made this shift to become a small group culture. And it wasn't until year three mm-hmm. when it was it was the back to school training that we did for our small group leaders. And I remember standing in the hallway with some members of my team and my wife was actually there and watching this new group of leaders trickle into this room after three years of saying the same things, training on the same things, honestly offering off ramps for leaders that that weren't bought into it or that were like, yeah, I, I don't know that that can be the thing that I do as a volunteer. It took three years. But that day, I remember looking at the individual leaders walking into the room and having this moment. It was an epiphany moment of like, oh, my gosh. Like we're here, not that we had arrived, but it was that indicator that this is culture. 
Like this yeah. is what's happened. The type of leader that's stepping in, the type of volunteer that's coming eager to invest for multiple years and, and prioritize ministry outside of just the programming time on a weekly basis. Uh, those were the types of leaders that were walking through the yeah. door. And that was a big one. That was a big one for me and my team. But it's also the moment where I realized this takes a really long time. And I don't know, Lisette, if you've had any experiences like that or uh, maybe even some stories of the amount of time it takes to build this kind of culture. So long. <laughs> and I think we, you know, we live in such an immediate world, like the culture we've created globally, and especially in North America, is that everything should happen fast. There's always a way. And there's so much pressure, I think, from church leadership often, right, for us in next gen world to like, well, why hasn't that worked yet? You know, if it was such a good idea, it would have worked yet. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> culture change takes, yeah, it really does take two, three, four, five years of really consistent effort. And the hard part is, is there's still regular programming all the time. And there's still other things that you're responsible for. And there's this sense of like, what does success look like that you're getting pushed at from other, you know, you're getting it from parents, you're getting it from leaders. And so, I think this is such a big deal to talk about because you need a great strategy. You do need a great model. You need all those things to like make sure you get to the culture that you want, but you have to believe that this is worth doing. But when you believe it and you keep pushing for it, but it takes a lot of consistency as leaders. And to be fair, a lot of leaders give up at the 18 month mark, right? At the two year mark. And we watch that, especially in student ministry. Mm-hmm. You kind of walk away and think, maybe I'll start somewhere else, but you might've just about been there, right? Like if you could have stuck it out for one more year, you probably would have seen like that three-year moment you had, Shane. I've had it too, where at that three or four-year mark, you're like, dang, I think we're doing it. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Gosh, hundred percent. I mean, I hear both of you emphasizing the importance of being in this for the long haul, that culture takes time. And in order to do that, you've really got to commit to playing the long game when it comes to creating a, a small group culture. And I know that you all created and designed a masterclass to help leaders with this, but I want to ask, what are some simple steps that you would give to a leader who's listening and in the next gen space, who's going, okay, I want to move in this direction, but I have some pressure. I know the program is coming week by week. Where do I even begin? How can I start to not only think this way, but take some action in creating a small group culture? I think, I mean, a couple of small steps are just thinking of people, you know, you can get on board and start to get them on board. That's the beauty of the masterclass is it's, it's recorded. You could let someone else watch it. You can let someone else watch sections of it. Cause I think, I think you could have your key lead volunteers do this. Um, you could have your staff do this. If you have a staff, most of us are out there on our own doing the best we can with everything you got, which means you need to volunteer. You need to recruit the leadership level volunteers you can never afford to hire cast this vision and get them on board with you. Yeah. You need to get your uh, boss on board with you. And let me just pause for a couple of like pitfalls I see happening. A lot of people get stuck on the word small group culture or they get small groups. And there are some denominations and older folks out there who are threatened by the word because that's the opposite of Sunday school. Don't worry about the word. Right. Cast vision for relational discipleship. You know, call it Sunday school, call it whatever you want. So instead of saying, but if you have a fourth grade Sunday school teacher, that's not a small group culture. Mm. To cast vision for a a Sunday school teacher that goes with them from first, second, third and fourth grade is a small group culture. Now, you don't have to you don't have to say any watch the track words. Right. Just say, wouldn't it be great? 
wouldn't it be amazing if adults walked with kids for a season, you know, whether that season's, you know, two, three, four years where they really get to know them. They know their birthday. They know their dog's name. They know their sister's name. They know their family situation. Just think about how much more ministry could happen in the context of all the things we're teaching them. Mm-hmm. And don't say the trap word. If, if your lead pastor is anti-small group or anti-life group or, you know, just study your, you know, always study your leadership and lead up well. And just, again, it's not manipulation. It's just wisdom to be like, okay, I, I know what we need to do. And I just need to stay away from those trap words or, yeah. and don't come back from a conference and change everything. Mm, Um, that's the other trap because everybody panics right and they're on the phone but you know again cast casting vision for relational discipleship almost always works and if you're in a church that doesn't respond well to that concept leave Mm. go somewhere else because they don't want real ministry they want to do a program you know so yeah anyway Yeah, don't come back from a conference and change all of these things, but maybe you can learn from a masterclass and have some things that you can actually change. Have some things. There you go. um, What would you say to that? What what are some small steps that that leaders can begin to take even now? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, those were some really great steps. Another one I would just say is depending on how far you have to move your culture, there's a couple things is one, define it really well for yourself. What do you hope it looks like? Create a sense of a vision for yourself of what you hope it looks like so that you can start communicating it really well. Dr. Scott Grimaud over at Fuller, who does a lot of change management stuff, will always talk about a couple of things. He'll always say experiment on the margins. So I would say start your own small group right? Like if you can't get your whole culture moving yet, it might take time. What if you met with a small group of kids and you just said, I'm going to journey with these kids for for a season, for years, whatever it looks like, because then you get to start telling stories about what, what God is up to there. And that can help shift a culture because people see change. Um, the other thing is, is I think, Chef, you've been talking about, you know, casting vision, casting vision, casting vision. Dr. Kromode always talks about um, creating shared stories of future hope. And what does it look like to create a shared story of future hope, a sense of what are you, you know, vision is where we're going, but it's also the sense of, could you imagine if, you know, when we saw this happen, what if that was everybody, right? Um, And sometimes you have to go mining for stories. Your church culture has relational ministry stories because nobody, (laughs) nobody has a lifelong faith without them. So go find them, go find the stories that exist and then say, what if we could do that all the time? What if, what would it look like if, and start creating this sense of a shared story of future hope. And I think when you can do those two things, you're you're moving culture forward while you're still trying to get the strategy laid out and get it embedded into your people. Wow, that's so helpful and so so practical to just get started right now mm-hmm. to create that and to begin to think forward and begin to take steps in that direction. However you can in your context, there are ways to to move toward this this direction and to move toward building this culture knowing that it's going to take some time. I, I do wonder, as we're having this conversation, I, I keep thinking about the leader who's listening and going, okay, my my youth ministry or the kids' ministry that I lead or the preschool ministry that I lead, it's a small group in and of itself. I, I mean, I, I, we don't have the critical mass. We don't have the 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 attendance numbers or the regular turnout that, that seems like small groups would work. So where do they begin? As they're listening to this, uh, what would you say to somebody who's leading in maybe a smaller context, wondering how can I begin to create a small group culture if I don't have enough kids or students to create multiple small groups? Where do you start there? 
you always do. You actually always do. What you do is you start asking more adults to get involved in those kids' lives. Um, so if it's just you and them, then you don't have a small group culture. Well, you do. You could have a small group culture with you, but you want that to expand. You want other adults invested in those kids' lives. And so what does it look like to just say, who else can I get involved? Who else can I come have to come alongside these kids? And inevitably, I have seen, because I remember the first church I was at, I think we had seven students in the youth group when I was hired. And I was like, cool, we are a small group. Let's do this thing. But inevitably, when kids are in environments where they know they are loved, they are cared for, and there's adults that are actually invested in their life, inevitably that grows because other one people want to be involved in that. So I would just say, start looking for other adults to join you on that journey and help compel them to what it looks like to do life on life with those kids. That's so good. Chef, what would you say to that? I think you're right. I think there's always more kids than people think. But one, you get we get attendance and our rosters messed up. Mm. And you're responsible for the kids who are not showing up if they're on your roster. And so there's, you know, if, if you have if you have three or four kids showing up, you have 10 to 12 kids who are orbiting the ministry that oh, are part of your responsibility. And so the other thing I say is exactly what Lizette said. Never, ever do this alone. Youth ministry is burnout ministry. Children's ministry is burnout ministry. If you have more than one gender and more than eight kids, you need help. Okay. Mm. So, you know, as they get older, they're going to need to get into gender groups and have those conversations. Obviously, that's a complicated topic these days as we talk about all of that. But that's the reality of what kids need to feel safe enough to have conversations about the important stuff. And so that's why my first step is always think of someone you would love to do ministry with. You know, they're probably they're probably out there in the business world kicking butt because they're great leaders and you'll never be able to afford them. So ask them to work for free and mm -hmm. cast vision for really important stuff and get help. And then now there's two of you yeah. who are doing it together and those kids are connected. When kids start realizing I'm not missing a program, a person's missing me, your attendance is going to grow. Wow. Because they're going to lie in bed Sunday morning with that rain on the roof for Wednesday night, whatever it is, and be like, I'm just. I'm just going to stay home. It, the program doesn't matter. No, you know, in the South, everybody's a Mr. Mr. Chef's going to miss me if I don't show up or Mr. Mr. Shane's going to miss me if I don't show up. You know, attendance will start growing when people are connected to people, not a program. So again, it won't be long till you're looking for a third and fourth. And I love a co-leader model for adults. It allows you to give you consistency. It gives you more connection points. So anytime I have a small group, I used to have two adults and a high school kid in every group, you mm. know, and no more than 20 kids on the roster in that group, which put 10 to 13 showing up a Sunday. Yeah. And of course, the day after Christmas or not the new year in the school year, you know, it's like everybody shows up that one, those one Sundays, but then it goes down to, yeah. you know, around half of the kids who are active on the roster. Yeah. And that's what you're dealing with on a Sunday, but that doesn't mean you don't reach out to them during the week yeah. and everything else. So don't get confused on only have three or four showing up because that means you have 12 to 15. Yeah, know, out there. that's interesting. Can, can you say a little bit more on that? Uh, I mean, that that may be a new idea for a lot of people. ratio wise. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing that from the first for the first time, this idea that, hey, you may have this amount of students that are connected to your small group every week, but there are more students who are connected to yeah. you relationally as a leader. How, right. how does that work? 
Um, well, I think you're, again, ratios are really important in your strategy. I think small groups need to be small. If you have 40 kids on roster for a small group, it's not a small group. It's a youth ministry. It's a separate youth ministry running parallel to yours that's using the same room. You know, so that's really important is to kind of set a top end for the roster, not attendance, the roster, because those are the kids you're responsible for. Probably the most important question you have to, that you have to ask yourself as a growing ministry is, how does a kid get on the roster and when do we give up on them? Mm. When do we take them off the roster, which is when you give up on them? Wow. And maybe they moved to Texas. That's a good reason. You're not giving up on them. Yeah. They're just no longer your stewardship. How long does a kid have to be here, have to be gone before you give up on them? What have we done in the meantime? Has anybody reached out to that kid? Does anybody know where they go? Wow. And if you, there's another indicator. If kids are just disappearing, you don't have a good small group model because someone should have been chasing them down. Someone should know the story. Someone should be able to tell you, yeah, his parents got divorced. He's split in time. So I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many kids where we they'd come three or four times a year. And when you ask the small group leader, that was the that was the answer. The, the home life is, but he's always here for walking wisely. I don't want him to be, uh, don't take him off my roster. Yeah. I'm not taking that kid off the roster in a million years. If a leader tells me that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so really who's active in your ministry, I think. Those are, those are the number games you play behind relational games. You can't ever force relationship to happen, but you can use those numbers to give relationships a much better shot. So if you can keep those ratios low, again, co-leaders help a ton. A leader leaves for their sister's wedding as they should. Yeah. Um, there's still an adult back there. If you start mixing small groups for coverage, the relational, you know, that's really the, dis why we went, we went from one to two leaders per group which was probably one of the biggest decisions we ever made. And it was a really hard decision because we, at that time, we did not have enough to have one leader per group in the ratios the way we wanted them. But the reality was if relationship was the key, we needed to quit mixing those groups for leaders who weren't there on the weekends because every other week I just had strangers in my group. I can't build a relational you know, deal like that. I can watch them, I can babysit them, but I can't necessarily do. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but the whole concept of, Rosters versus attendance is a big idea to think about if you're stepping back strategically and trying to lead your department well. Yeah. And don't underestimate what that communicates to your volunteers. Like yeah. active, accurate rosters. Wow. And then coming to them and saying, this kid hasn't been here in six weeks. You've yeah. noticed something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know where they are, you know, and that, that communicates a ton. So yeah, good. That's good. What I love in, in what both of you all are saying here, regardless of context, regardless of ministry size, regardless of how many kids or students that you have coming on a weekly basis, whether you're casting vision, you're building strategy, or even in the logistics of what we're talking about, it all goes back to relationships. All of it goes back to connecting humans together because we know, as Lissette, you mentioned earlier, and Chef, you, you said as well, that relationships are the key. We see it in scripture. We see it back at the beginning of this whole movement called the church, and we continue to see it today. In fact, over the last few years, there's been a lot of adjustments in the Big C Church, and I know we're emerging into a moment and a future that we're all wondering and curious about what is this going to look like. I wanted to ask you, what opportunity do you see in this current moment that, that is unique for leaders who are wanting to create a small group culture? Is there something about now that, that maybe we didn't have before that could help a leader begin to implement 
this type of mm. culture. That's good. I mean, well, I guess the first thing that came to mind, as you said, the last two years is I thought, gosh, the churches that were oriented around program lost. The mm. churches that were oriented around relationship won. Wow. Right. And I mean, what felt like a crack became a chasm so fast. And so when there was no relational depth, those kids, those people, like all of that was so hard to find. And yet you watch these ministries that were already based on relationship and they have, they found a way to thrive and to move forward. Right. And so I would say one, if you are still wondering if this is the right thing to do, can we compel you? (laughs) If the last few years have shown us anything, it's shown us yet one more time, even though scripture tells us and everything else, the research tells us, I don't know which you need both of those Um, scripture more than, okay. Anyway, Uh, (laughs) but you need both of those things, but just to say like it matters, but I think there's something that we have seen certainly in the last few years is when we got isolated, when we had to separate how hard that was on everyone. Mm -hmm. And if we have, you know, if you've been connected to any human, including yourself, you will have seen levels of anxiety, of depression, of isolation, of loneliness, of confusion, of just wondering who you are and what you're about in the world has just risen to such a high like pitch of like help, which says to me then, gosh, the church has the most beautiful space to walk into because we have the answer to that. Right. We have the answer to say, we know exactly who you are because Jesus says who you are. You have a place to belong. You don't have to be alone because Jesus created that for us in the church. And you get to be on mission uh, because we've watched all these young people get out here and say they want to change the world. And we're like, we'll teach you how to actually change the world. You can do it right here. Um, And so I think there's a beautiful opportunity. There always is. But we are in this unique window, I think, culturally that says, gosh, if the church would enter that space and say, uh, we actually think we have the answer and you can be a part of it. I think there's something beautiful to be had. Whew. Wow. That, was wow. <laughs> that is, oh my gosh, that is so inspiring and helpful. I mean, I'm sitting here listening <laughs> to your response and thinking about the opportunity of this moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm no longer a local church youth pastor in that context, but I'm like, where do I need to start this? <laughs> like, I'm just ready to <laughs> just jump up and go. I mean, what you just said, um, is so encouraging, it's convicting in some ways, but it's so inspiring to look at this moment that we know is unique. We know it's unique in our world, but we also know it's unique in the church and leverage it to prioritize everything we're talking about. Leverage it to to make relational ministry the key to the ministry that you're leading and ultimately leverage it to begin or or to expand on creating a small group culture. So that's so good. Thanks, Lisette, for that. That was really, really encouraging. Um, I want to ask you all a little bit about the masterclass here. Let's talk about that. First, um, who is this masterclass for? One, if you're a ministry leader, you should watch all of it. But then the thing I would be thinking the whole time is who else needs to see this and what parts do they necessarily need to see? I mean, we get pretty granular, so you probably don't necessarily need a lead volunteer watching some of the granular stuff. But I can tell you the granular stuff is what I'm hearing from ministry leaders is the most helpful. They're like, oh, I now I'm, I'm sitting down with a piece of paper and we are thinking the rosters conversation, the ratios conversation. Yeah. Those are all things that you don't necessarily need to bore your lead volunteers with because you want them, you know, being relationally available to the other volunteers and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, it may very well be that you need to pull some sections of it for your, your boss or whatever. If, you, if you're in a big enough church to have a staff of folks, yeah. and when I say staff, that's, that is 
lead volunteer, whether you're paid or not, you may be staff. So like the, these are the core leaders of my ministry that, you know, you don't have to be paid to be considered staff in my world. Cause you know, um, I think that's really who they're for. Um, but again, this is a very practical workshop. This isn't what you're not, you're going to get inspired, but you're going to do a lot of work. So, you know, it's not going to be one of those things you walk away from a 40 minute breakout inspired to go do something and then not know the first step we're going to, we're popping the hood on ministry and, yep. uh, and do, you know, some of the stuff I'm like, are people really want this, you know, like <laughs> this is granular. And the responses I'm getting are, thank you for that. You know, mm. like that, that's the step I needed. That's what I needed someone to sit with me and, and I could hit pause and write some things down and get a calculator out and figure out how many small group leaders I actually need, you know, based on my roster. And, and so the, I think that's really who's a, who, who it's for. But again, the video format, the way we've broken it down allows you to pick and choose who gets to see what sections of it as well. Well, what I love too, I think is that it's relevant, whether you're at a really big church or you're at a really small church, doesn't matter the size of your church. Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters where you're at in the small group journey. If you're just thinking, man, I got to figure out how to get this started. I think it's really relevant and it'll help you. If you're in a space where you're like, we talk about it all the time. I don't know if we're doing it. I think it'll help you evaluate it and get better at it. And I think even if you would say you have an effective small group culture, I think it gives you some incredible tools to say, how do we still go further and be better? What have I not yet thought about? Because I think somewhere within this masterclass, we talk about everything. We really do get under the hood and go like, now let's look all the way down, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is brilliant and super helpful. That's good. That's awesome. Okay. So let me give you just a couple of hot seat questions right now. I would love to hear the first things that come to your mind around this. The first one is this. When you think about the signs that that truly make up a, a culture, or you walk into a space, or you're talking to a ministry leader, and you're looking for the signs that they really do have a culture that revolves around small groups, what are the top three things that come to mind when you think about those signs? I mean, when I walk into a room, I, I just glance around to see where the leaders are standing, the small group leaders are standing. Are they with their kids? Are they along the wall? You know, sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that really does matter. I watch when guests are coming in who the kids introduce their friends to. Is it the small group leader? Is it, you know, I listen to the talk, the speaker often. Does the speaker leave anything for the small group leader to say? I mean, at the end of the day, our goal is for kids to go home. We want to make the small group leader the hero of the day. So it, it shouldn't be, you'll never believe what the speaker said. It should be, my small group leader told us this because that speaker set up you know, I always talk about the speaker carries the football to the five yard line and kind of hands it off to the small group leader to go, you know, and the speaker, I used to tell speakers all the time, your goal is to end where kids can't wait to go to small group to talk about what you just talked about. Mm, that's good. So you're going to not say some things yeah. on purpose because they've got to go wrestle with whatever you've just set up, handle the biblical truth. Well, you're the only trained person, you know, or not all of these folks are trained in the, you know, the in seminary and those sorts of things. So handle that well, but set that tension up and then let them go with all that tension for the small group leader to go. Yeah. You know? so good. I don't know that's if that so makes good. sense. Yeah, that's helpful. Lisette, what are uh, three signs that a culture really does revolve around small groups? 
Yeah, I would say, how often do I hear it? How often do I hear in the midst of a night, like, hey, groups, we're going to do this. Groups, I just want to hear the term. I want to sense that I see it, um, that even activities and other things are oriented around a group actually increasing their relationship. I would have said the same thing as Chef. I walk into a room and I want to see who's talking to who, um, especially where are the adults? Who are they hanging out with? And what does that look like? Does it feel easy? Does it feel fun? Do you see that sense of connection? And then I would look at a space. Does a space look like it's pointing kids towards a group or towards a stage? Um, Yeah, there's a stage moment. I get it. But is your space oriented around thinking about groups having an amazing experience? That's good. That's so helpful. I want to ask you one last thing. And that is, what do you hope for a leader who journeys through the masterclass? What is is your hope as the, the leaders and creators of this masterclass? I think my hope is just handles. You know, to to get started, I always talk about building submarines are so complicated. I just don't know where to start. This is complicated and, and long work, as we talked about. So handles and hope at the same time, like, mm. you know, just be encouraged that you'll be doing the right things and not necessarily feel it, you know, yeah. as you're casting vision until we have the moment you talked about, you know, which is really, again, the beauty of family ministry and student ministry and children's ministry is it's kind of like every year you get a restart and that's where you'll see the changes really start to take place. So pay attention during those times to see if you hear it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just waiting for the next restart because <laughs> you need some people to move on. Right. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, focusing on like, I used to just be like, look, they're eighth grade leaders. They're going to be gone before we could replace them. So Let's focus on getting great sixth grade leaders coming in, you know, when I was doing the middle school ministry. And before you know it, it's a year in, and now those sixth grade leaders are your, you know, experienced leaders and you're recruiting the next wave. And before you know it, they're all, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's That's hope and handles. Hope and handles. I'm going to go with hope and handles with you and a little effectiveness and impact along the way. I, you know, I don't know that any one of us got into this to not be good at it. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us go into ministry and think, you know, what would be cool is if a lot of people I work with never loved Jesus for a lifetime. We do not get into it that way. And I think I always said that as a parent, I didn't look at my two kids and go, gosh, I hope one of them falls in love with Jesus. No, I would never do that. Right. I want all of them to. And if we know that there's a way to be more effective at it and more impactful, um, then why wouldn't we do it? Because we want, I realize the Enneagram three in me comes out and just want some success here, but <laughs> we do want kingdom success, kingdom impact. And so our hope is, yeah, you get those handles, you get those tools. Do you feel like, okay, there's other people in this with me and they get that it's going to take time. But if time means that we'll be more effective, then let's do that. Wow. Y'all, thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah. Thank you for creating the masterclass. Um, we know relationships matter so much and we know to kids and students relationships are key as they build a faith of their own so thank you for investing in the faith and future of the next generation and investing in leaders who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation can't wait for more and more people uh, to get to journey through this master class and create great small group cultures Lisette, chef thank you so much thank you thank you We want to thank Lisette and Chef for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening to this conversation and want to create a ministry that elevates relationships, you can purchase creating a small group culture at thinkorange.com slash masterclass. We would also love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We love this review by Caleb. Caleb said, this is hands down the best family ministry podcast out there. 
It covers anyone leading ministries from birth through high school. The topics, interviews, and messages are relevant and great. It is also fun, which makes it even better. Thanks for the review, Caleb. We'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast. Oh,